The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to the Barca Blogranas podcast. My name is Josh. I am joined, as usual, by my co-host, Renato. Renato, how you doing? I'm hanging in. You're hanging in. Uh, that's more than Barcelona can say. Real Madrid 2, Barcelona 0. Um, El Clasico ends once again in a somewhat depressing fashion, or not even somewhat, in a depressing fashion for Barcelona with two second-half goals from Real Madrid at the Bernabeu to put um, Los Blancos up in La Liga and put Barcelona in another uh, depressing state. Um, what were your just kind of initial overview thoughts, uh, impressions? Because um, if anyone read your kind of recap um, slash live blog on the site, like the first half was like... Not not the best, but it was encouraging. Like it was exciting football on both sides, and then Barcelona were just completely outclassed in the second half. Yeah, the saddest part about it is we're not going to hear your apology, uh, but <laughs> we're going to get to that. Later. Yeah, we'll get to that later. Uh, it was disappointing. Um, um, obviously, um, and this is true for both sides of this, um, both uh, sets of fans. Everybody overreacts to a classico, good or bad. Um, you know, we've won El Clasico a lot recently. Um, and every time we won, even though there were clear problems, with, especially with Valverde, and we were just somehow finding a way to win, we were the best team in the world because we won El Clasico and nothing else mattered. And for the next couple of hours and couple of days, you could celebrate that you beat Real Madrid. And you really ignored the bad signs that all those wins left. And then when you lose El Clasico, uh, obviously you, you're the worst team in the world and uh, everything is bad. And and especially when you're at the state of affairs that the club is in right now. Like if everything was okay with Barca and we lost El Clasico, we would just be we would just be sad that we lost El Clasico. But because of everything that's happening um, outside of just the team, it's it's just another thing to pile on the misery and. Um, you know, um, but like I said, if you if you managed if you managed to not overreact, it wasn't actually as bad as it, as it feels, um, because obviously the last impression is the second half, and the second half was atrocious. But the first half was actually really good. We created the best chances of the game. Real Madrid scored two very unlikely goals. Like, if Vinicius Jr. and Mariano were in the same positions as they were on Sunday, if they took the same shots, they'd probably not score. Um, and if Lionel Messi shoots from the exact same distance, um, and Antoine Griezmann shoots from the exact same distance, and Martin Braithwaite and, and Gerard Piquet has another chance at that header, um, they're probably 
all scoring that chance. And then we go into halftime like two or three nil up. So if we go at halftime up to three nil, then we're the best team in the world again. And um, obviously that's not the case. And that wouldn't have been the case if we won, but we had chances and we didn't score them. But then in the second half, all the problems happened and, uh, we were pretty dominated in a fashion you don't exactly see in El Clasico, even when Bar- even in Barcelona's best days. They rarely dominated that uh, a game of that magnitude the way Real Madrid did on Sunday. So uh, the second half is concerning, especially because of the, the coaching problems that you saw and then also the player problems that you saw. But... Um, it, it was really one of the worst cliches in, in the sport, one that I hate, but actually makes uh, makes sense. It, it was a game of two halves. Um, and then you can look at the, you know, glass half full, glass half empty. And a lot of Barca fans are looking at glass half empty because, you know, you lost El Clasico. It's tough to look at any positives. So... Uh, yeah, I and I, I guess it's also important to remember, um, like a lot going into this was about how Real Madrid needed this for the title race, how important this was. Um, in reality, like Barcelona are only down one point, and there's still like a lot of football to be played. So especially with, you know, th- this win might give Real Madrid, you know, some confidence, obviously, but they haven't looked invincible. Like they're going to drop points and Barcelona will have opportunities to recover this in La Liga. So like you said, kind of keeping keeping everything in perspective, um, this this is the farthest thing from meaning that Barcelona won't win La Liga. All this means is that uh, they did not score a goal in an El Clasico this year, which is which is obviously not uh, not the best from a fan's perspective. But um, if they win La Liga and go goalless in El Clasico, um, it's not the best outcome but it is a very good outcome yeah and um just to explain something that is important here because obviously we're in the middle of a title race and there's only 12 games left uh because of the rules of the tiebreaker rules um bars are technically two points back because um if they finish with the same number of points at the end of the season real madrid wins the title because the first tiebreaker in spain is head-to-head and in the first game at the Camp Nou, it was a draw. And then Real Madrid won the second game. So they have the head-to-head advantage. So Barca have to finish with more points than Real Madrid. That seems logical, but because of the rules in Spain, you can actually win the title by tying in points if you have the head-to-head. So Real Madrid are actually technically two points ahead. Um but all Barca need is to win one more game than Real Madrid um, uh, through the rest of the season. Um, if, if the rest of their, their results are the same, if Barca win one more game, they're champions no matter what. But it, it's important to, to mention that, that Real Madrid can still win La Liga if they're equal on points, and Barca don't have that option. They have to finish ahead of Madrid, which obviously it's possible. Right, and... That's a good thing to point out. Um, what did you see from Messi? Because obviously this is five matches now in an El Clasico without a goal or assist. Um, there were some some shots of him that could have been perceived as limping. Um, he had he had chances, but um, for the most part was bottled up. What did you see from the GOAT? 
uh, I will not. Uh, I will not subscribe to the idea that he might have been injured. Um, I think he was. Ju- he just had a bad game, and uh, I think that happens from time to time. But <clears throat> sorry, it has happened um, a lot more um, um, consistently than you would actually want from your best player. And honestly, the only reason why we win games. Um, so he wasn't good against Napoli. Um, he wasn't the reason why we got an away goal. The goal had nothing to do with him. Um, and in El Clasico, he had the big chance that he never misses. And it was a pretty easy miss and easy save for Courtois to make. And then to me, the play, the play of the game that really summed up the whole messy deal now where he just doesn't look the same anymore is when he was through on goal and Marcelo, who has always been slower than him, just burn him, outran him, was like 10 yards behind him and got ahead of him and didn't let him get a shot on goal. That was, to me, the play of the game. That was the scary play because I'm like, yeah, maybe we're... At some point, Lionel Messi is not going to play like the GOAT anymore. He's all, He will be the GOAT. He is. But at some point, he's not going to play like the GOAT anymore. He's going to have bad games and good games. And it's going to be a lot more common to see that inconsistency because of his age. Um, and I don't know. I don't want to say we're seeing that now because he always surprises us. Whenever we think he's done and finished, he comes back better than ever but it's concerning that in 2020 especially except from the a-bar game where he scored four goals Lionel Messi is having a bad 2020 like plain and simple he's he's having a bad 2020 he was amazing the whole year of 2019 that's why he won the ball on door deservedly so but he's been bad this uh this year and we're three months into the year and it's a pretty good um sample size now and he ha- he just hasn't played well, and um, he hasn't been the reason uh, why we won most of our matches. And in the big matches, he just hasn't performed. And I don't think it has anything to do with injury. I just think he's not playing well, which okay. is crazy when you think about Messi. But it can happen to anybody. Anybody can play badly, and it's happening to Messi. Yeah, um, and I. <laughs> You never want to say that it's good to have your best player not play well, but I think it is making the way that Barcelona have um, built their rosters and kind of built their play style in pass is like if your best player eventually has one bad year in his career or one, and again, a bad year for Messi is like a great year for most players. But Of course, um, it, it's still it, the top scorer in La Liga. Right. It, it is probably going to finish as the top scorer in La Liga. Right. It, it it does you know point out some potential roster holes and some ideas about your team, and it can cause you to hopefully rethink about things in a positive way. So, um, moving on to um, Braithwaite, he looked good. Um, they brought him on as a substitute, obviously, so he didn't get the start. Uh, there was no goal, but I think I think you did see, like you talked about in the podcast last week, you saw an interjection of um, style and pace that kind of threw Real Madrid off a little bit and gave uh, Barcelona a difference, uh, a little bit of a different look. So I think you, even though he didn't score a goal, you saw what he can bring to Barcelona in the last few months of the season. You watched the game, right? Mm-hmm. After watching that game, do you agree with me now that he should have started? 
Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a little difficult. I always struggle with like the sub that looks really good. Like, oh, well you should have just started him. Like obviously it's hindsight, but he probably should have started. Yeah, it's, but it's now two substitute appearances in a yeah. row, uh, where he, it's clear now that he should start every game until the end of the season in La Liga because obviously he can't play the Champions League, mm-hmm. but he should start every game in La Liga. Like, he gives us something we don't have, which is pace. Barcelona don't have speedy forwards because Usman Dembele is injured, so we don't have a guy who can run in behind the defense. And what did he do? He came on. He literally came on. Five seconds later, what happens? He runs in behind the defense and almost scores a goal. Remember when I said Marcelo beat Messi for pace? Mm-hmm. Braithwaite burned Marcelo. Marcelo had no chance against Braithwaite. As soon as Braithwaite ran in behind him, Marcelo knew he was done. And then Braithwaite was through on goal. Great save by Courtois. And then 20 seconds later, Real Madrid score. And then they got behind the ball, and then the threat of Braithwaite's speed wasn't there anymore. Um, but it's clear to me, it's absolutely clear to me, um, that if Braithwaite had started the game and had, had or at least come on at halftime when he was clear that Antoine Griezmann was struggling, and that Braithwaite had to come on at halftime at least, I'm sure that if it had come on at halftime, we wouldn't be as bad in the second half because we would have had someone to counterattack, which was the the biggest problem in the second half. So I think to me, um, it's very, very clear that Braithwaite should start for Barcelona until the end of the season. Like, it, there's no question because, because he gives us something we don't have. And obviously, it would be ideal to have a much better player than Braithwaite with a lot of pace and a lot more quality in front of goal. Um, because if you had a better uh, forward, maybe that guy would have scored the chance that Braithwaite missed. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's what you have now. What you have now is Braithwaite, but he should be playing. Yep, I think I definitely agree with you at this point. Um, so how did you think uh, Kike Setien did in his first El Clasico? I wrote about it um, for Barcelona, and people thought I was quite harsh, but I wasn't. I I, I, I started the, the post by saying that I really love him and I believe in him. I think he's a very good coach, and I think if he's given the necessary weapons in the summer, he's going to be a great coach for us. But this was the first giant week for him in charge. It was Napoli away in the Champions League and El Clasico on the road. And he was very disappointed in both, especially El Clasico. Um, The Napoli game we already talked about last week where I thought he wasn't aggressive enough. And then in El Clasico, he just didn't change things. He started with a really weird um, lineup um, where Frankie Dion was playing basically as a left winger which just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Barca played a 4-4-2, reminiscent of the worst days of Ernesto Valverde in his second season. <laughs> and um, the team just looked so slow, and, and there wasn't enough passing in the middle. And then in the second in the second half, man, the inability to react. Like, you should have known after the first five minutes of the second half that Martin Braithwaite had, had to come on, or Asofati. Like, 
if 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 you if you're too caught up in the prejudice of Braithwaite just because he he's Braithwaite and it's a joke signing, fine, bring on Nelson Fati, but at least bring on a quick player to give us an outlet on the counterattack, which it, we didn't have. Because what happened was Real Madrid were pressing so high with so much intensity, Barca couldn't pass their way out of the, the, the press. They couldn't get out of that the way they normally do. So what was the option? Someone quick with a lot of pace that Ter Stegen or someone at the back could just kick the ball forward and hope that that guy would, out, would outrun everyone in the Madrid fence and get to the ball. At least have an outlet. At least have an option to kick it long. But Kike doesn't want to do that. He just wants to pass the ball out of back. He loves possession too much. I love possession. Every Barcelona fan loves possession. But it's too much right now. When we're under pressure in those situations like the second half, he does not offer another alternative. It's his way of the highway. You have to pass or you're not going to be on the team. And then we can see uh, a stupid goal because of that. And then we keep doing it. And somehow we only consider the second goal in that, in injury time. And when he finally brought on Braithwaite, 20 seconds later, we scored, we conceded a goal, the first goal, when it was, when it was clear that if Braithwaite had been on a pitch like five minutes earlier, we might have not considered that goal because the pressure from Real Madrid probably wouldn't have been as big because they would be worried about Braithwaite. So it made no sense to me whatsoever. His thinking, his lineup choices, his substitutions, how he's still playing Antoine Griezmann is beyond me. Because even though we said Antoine Griezmann is playing well last week, against Napoli and Real Madrid, he was straight up bad. He scored against Napoli, but he wasn't good. And against Real Madrid, he missed a crazy easy chance. The best chance of the game was Griezmann's Griezmann's miss. And he somehow missed that on his strong foot. Um, And then he just disappeared for the rest of the game. And he somehow lasted longer than, you know, the likes of Arturo Vidal, who had a much better game than him, even though he was played out of position again. And then Griezmann just stayed on the pitch because of his name. Like, it makes no sense. Do you think Kike is trying to kind of fit? It seems like he's trying to force players into positions that they're not strong in just to fit his system as opposed to maybe because, you know, if you come in in the middle of the season, you know, you're not going to have your pick of a lot of players. So it seems like he's just trying to force, you know, what's the the saying? Like a... a, Square bags and round holes. Yeah, it seems like that's what he's doing. But that's the crazy thing. He wasn't doing that. Like, the game against Abar was the best we played all season, regardless of the coach. And everybody was in the position they should have been, based on, you know, the current state of injuries and stuff like that. Sure. Ideally, you'd like to have Usman Dembele on the wing and, and, you know, other uh, Luis Suarez up front instead of Antoine Griezmann. But that's not what you have right now. So, based on what he had, he built a pretty good team against Abar. With Arturo Vidal on the left, not the right, Lionel Messi with a free role where he could be whatever he wanted, and a midfield that was prepared to go forward and be a threat all the time. And then he just went away from that. He went away from his best performance just because the games were a little bigger and more important, and he thought that wouldn't work. 
Like it didn't make sense. Like he, I don't know. Um, there, there is a problem with the coaches like Kike Setien, where you know, and guys like Thomas Tuchel and even Pep Guardiola at times. Um, obviously, Guardiola is obviously has a much better ter- track record of winning. Sure, but he has been blamed. Uh, of this in the past where they try to be the reason why the team won. They just don't want to put the best players in their best positions and ask them to go win the game with their quality and just give the team a good structure so that they look, they are organized. They want to be the reason they want to be. It's their stroke of genius that won the the big game. It was Setien's crazy mind that won the game against Napoli and El Clasico. That's what it, to me, that's what he thought. And it backfired big time because, you know, if he just put the players, the exact same 11 players in the exact same positions that they played against Abar, I guarantee you we would have won in Napoli because we played well enough to do that, but didn't because the players weren't where they should be. And I guarantee you, I don't know if we would have won El Clasico because you, you don't know that, but we would have played better throughout the whole game. And especially what really, 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 really got me angry on Sunday was him putting Messi where Messi just does not work, which is as a number 10, especially when he is marked by Casemiro. Like Casemiro just knows how to defend Messi. He, he gets it now. He's faced him so many times, he knows it. Like, and... To be honest, like the the joke that a lot of Real Madrid fans made that Casemiro had Messi in his pocket is true. And you know why that happened? Because Kike Setien put Messi in front of Casemiro the whole game. He stuck Arturo Vidal to the right, so he forced Lionel Messi to play as a number 10. And then Lionel Messi had nowhere to go because there were so many players in front of him from both teams, and then he couldn't work. And when you go to the Santiago Bernabeu to play, to play El Clasico, and I'm not, you know, uh, taking the blame away from Messi. He did not play well. But his coach really helped him not play well. And to me, that's really disappointing. When you take away your best player, the best player of all time, you take away what he does best in the most important game of the season. That just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we'll move on and talk about some of the, a bit of the bad news from the week. So I, I wanted to start with uh, Kike Setien's assistant. I'm glad you put that on here. Um, there's a, someone did a, from the, I think from the evening standard did a pretty good English translation of kind of a line by line of some of the, some of the antics uh, throughout the match from Setien's assistants. Uh, I, I personally um, kind of seeing it because I didn't really notice it all that much during the match. Um, kind of afterwards, kind of seeing some of the stuff online, I, I more so found it funny. Like it was more so kind of like a ridiculous, like goofy from like Mickey Mouse kind of thing. Like this is just stupid. Um, did you? How did? How did you feel about it? The problem isn't how we feel about it. The problem about all of this is how the players feel about it. Because yeah. The reports are that Barcelona players just do not like him, and especially they think he embarrassed them in El Clasico because of his reactions. Um, just so we give him his name, his name is Eder Sarabia. Um, he's a Kike's main assistant, and, and he's an animated character. Like, he's a character. He's not like any other assistant. You won't find an assistant in football as active as he is. Um, you can see him behind Kike all the time 
giving instructions to players. Uh, he's really passionate, really intense, and Barca had, have never worked with an assistant as intense as him. Like, when you, like I'm just going to give you the example. The main assistant for Pep Guardiola during those years, during all the, the glorious years, was Tito Villanova. Tito Villanova could not have been nicer and more placid and quiet and just supportive of his coach no matter what. Um, Sarabia is completely different from that. And obviously that's with Kike's um, blessing. Kike wants him to be that. He's always been that at Las Palmas and at Real Betis. And when you do that with less famous players, players who don't earn as much money, um, and players were frankly not very good, and then you see the coach making them better, you can get away with that as an assistant. Um, and by the way, I'm not blaming um, Eder Sarabia. I don't think he's in the wrong gear at all, but I'm just making the point. Sure. When you go to Barcelona players who have won everything and who are world-famous world superstars who are at the point of their careers, especially when you look at the biggest players in the squad, and we all know who they are, they do not think that they need to be improved. They do not think they need an assistant coach um, uh, let alone, uh, you know, not the head coach, it's the assistant coach who is saying the things he's saying on camera, who's being as animated as he is. And, you know, in, in the players' minds, and again, I'm not supporting the players at all, in the players' minds, they're like, what's Kike's power then? If, if this guy is talking to me all the time and he, he's saying I suck in front of millions of people watching El Clasico, why should I listen to Kike, let alone him? So the reports coming from Spain are the Barcelona players, the big ones, have absolutely zero respect for Kike and his assistant. And they made it clear to them and to the people in charge of Barcelona after the, the loss at Valencia, which was, you know, a month ago, which was, one of, which was Kike's first away game in charge. And they simply have not shown any deference or respect to, especially Eder Sarabia, who is KK's assistant. And I honestly think they're undermining him. And they are undermining KK. And it's sad. Uh, if all if the reports are true, KK doesn't doesn't last until the summer. Like he's gonna coach the team to the end of the season, obviously, because there's only two and a half months left. And we're probably gonna, not going to win anything anyway. Um, but I don't see him staying. I just don't. I think, you know, the players just don't respect him from the start, it seems like. And then when you see what happened on on Sunday and the players' reaction to that and all the, the, the rumors we've been hearing since, and um, it's disappointing to see players of this talent and and who are playing for Barcelona – uh, the greatest club on earth, unable to take orders from a coach just because he's a little more animated than the ones they've worked before. To me, that's just disgusting. Yeah, so uh, moving on to some more unfortunate uh, topics. Um, Usman Dembele. Uh, I I'm guessing, you just put his name, I'm guessing you're talking about the Barcelona training stuff. Yeah, there was, there was a report... And obviously, we have to take the report with all the all of the grains of salt, yep. because it, it was a report coming from France, 
who talks to his cook and his personal trainer and the guy who coached them um, um, at Rennes when he was in France, when he first bursted onto the scene. Mm -hmm. There is absolutely no communication with anyone from Barcelona. You don't hear Barcelona side. But what the report from L'Equipe, the, the French uh, newspaper, says is that Barcelona have just botched uh, Dembele completely. They forced him into playing a lot more than he was ready, than his body was ready for. They don't take care of his body um, uh, correctly enough in training. And then... Um, um, and then Barcelona just, you know, like he's like one of the, the one of the things that I thought was fascinating when reading the report is that, and to me that actually makes a lot of sense. Only twenty percent of his um, of his actions in training were sprints, like when because obviously he got crazy pace, so obviously you want to dose that in training. So only twenty percent of his actions in training were sprints. And that raised, according to the report, allegedly, to 90%. 90% of what he did on the pitch during games for Barcelona were sprints. And obviously, if you only do it 20% in training throughout the week, and then in a the game you raise it to 90%, your body's not going to be ready for that. It's like me, and I'm not an athlete, by the way, I just want to make that clear. I stay at home and I eat popcorn all day. Um, it's like me... Uh, that's true, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm a fat. Um, okay. Um, that's not a point. It's kind of a point because what I'm trying to say is like me being in the current shape I'm in, which isn't a shape at all. Uh, it's like me trying to run a marathon tomorrow. Like my body's not going to be ready for that. And it's going to have long-term effects on me forever. Uh, just like me being really fat is going to have effects on me forever. And I probably should be training for a marathon and running a year from now because that means I'm going to be a healthy person. But that's beside the point. But apparently, <laughs> Barcelona trainers and coaches were not treating Dembele's body right. And they were asking him to do things in training that were completely different from what he did in the game. And I thought that was fascinating. And that actually made a lot of sense because if you watch the games, all he does is run. He doesn't get on the ball. He's not involved as much. Whenever he plays for Barcelona, he's just running and running and running mm -hmm. and running. And if you don't just run in training, if you do other things and then in the game you're not doing them, your body's going to feel it. Um, and then, you know, the thing about it uh, that I thought was funny uh, about the report was talking to his cook, his personal chef, said oh all he eats is fish now he eats a lot of fish it doesn't have parties at home like why are you mentioning parties at home like that was one of the rumors of Nambele that he went to a lot of parties and he wasn't a good professional um and I loved that his personal chef well oh by the way you know the parties aren't happening anymore it doesn't do parties anymore okay it was with yeah, and then he finished up the that's quote a, saying he is very professional. <laughs> and that's an admission of guilt. Like, you're just literally admitting something that was only reported, that was never made true. You just said to us that he used to party, but he, he's not doing it anymore. No, he's really professional now. But cool, he has been at the club for three years, not three months. And uh, if he's not partying now, fine. But what about the other times he was partying instead of treating his injuries? And what... 
if he's eating fish now, why wasn't he? Why was he eating McDonald's like for the last three years? I don't know. So I thought his cook tried to really um, help him, but didn't at all. Um, I love that actual... we're talking about Usman Dembele's cook. Yeah, I love it too. Um, and by, about my diet, I, I love that we got there. Uh, but <laughs> um, <laughs> but to me, the fascinating part of the 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 really credible part of the article was the sprint stuff and how his his muscles are worked one way in training. And then they're used completely differently in matches, which obviously affects his body. And if that contributes to his injuries, I wouldn't be surprised at all. But it's sad because if Barcelona are to blame for botching the the second most expensive signing in the club's history, the guy who was supposed to replace Neymar and has played less games in his first three years than Neymar did in his first season... That's really, really concerning. Yeah, and I, I, another interesting aspect of this report was the Frank de Jong aspect. I picked up on this where it talked about how apparently he had to employ a personal trainer since yep. arriving from Ajax. And I, I like, I guess I just imagine de Jong arriving from a you know a, a typical training session um, at Ajax and getting to Barcelona and seeing this. You know, the report talks about the the veteran aimed training for you know guys like PK and Messi and Busquets. And De Jong gets there and has to employ a trainer because the, the intensity is just not up to par with what he's used to. And I guess, you know, De Jong... By the way, to me, that's not a big deal. I just want to make that clear. Um, because that depends... That goes from culture to culture. Right. Like, um, there are certain countries like England, for example, where it doesn't matter your age. You train just like everybody else does. In Italy, there's a respect for the veterans. Like... Mm-hmm. You take their workload into account and you adjust training to what they can do. Um, and then you adjust to what the others can do. Uh, but like when everybody's training together with the ball, like you have in like depending on the culture, and I'm sure that's that way in Spain because that's, you know, how Barcelona is clearly doing it. You adjust your training when everybody's together to the older players because you take their workload into account and what they can and cannot do. So I don't have a problem with that at all. It, it does seem like, it, like, granted, for the veterans, yes, but it seems weird that he would have to employ a personal trainer to even, like, like why wouldn't the club have a different training regiment for someone like a De Jong or a Dembele? Like, why, why should they have to go out on their own and do that? Yeah, that, 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 that's a good question, but, you know, um, we don't know when Frankie De Jong sure. brought in his own personal trainer, so that's all speculation. Maybe, yeah, maybe he didn't feel comfortable with um, with the the club's trainers yet, and he, maybe he's thinking, "Man, I just arrived. I'm not gonna go and complain that Messi trains less than me. Sure, and, <laughs> and Messi should be training as much as me. I'm not gonna go and do that." <laughs> um, so, like for example, there's a, there's a quick story I'm gonna give about. Uh, a Brazilian player named Renato Augusto. I I don't know if you've heard of him, Josh, or if anyone listening did. Renato Augusto was, you know, was a big player for the national team. Uh, 2018 World Cup, he was one of Brazil's best players. Um, when he was in Brazil, he, he, he was known for his injuries, and then he fixed his injuries by having his own personal trainer. And then when he moved to China, he saw that in China, the workload and the training intensity was a lot different than Brazil 
and that training was really was really slow and he he saw that he would get injured again so he took his personal training to china and there was no problem at the club with that because they know okay if he doesn't train at a certain intensity uh, at a higher intensity than we do he's going to get injured and Renato Augusto has been the best player in the Chinese league since he's been there, which is, what, four years now? So I don't think that's a problem at all. I just think players adjust differently. At Ajax, everyone is young, so obviously they're going to train a lot differently than they do at Barcelona. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a problem with that at all. Yep. So It's, it's just cultural. And Barcelona's best players are all over 30, yeah. so it would be crazy not to adjust training for them. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought up the cultural point too because I think that's not something that um, is thought about enough. Uh, Ansi Fati, go. Oh, um, another bad report. Like, there's so many bad reports coming <laughs> out. But there's a report that people within Barcelona are really upset. Um, I, don't, I don't think upset is the right word. They're concerned that Kike Setien just hasn't played Ansi Fati. Um, and that he's not playing enough minutes to, you know, develop as a player because obviously he's really young. I don't even know if he's 18. I think he's still 17. You can check that for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I think he's still 17. So obviously he should be playing, and especially because he's one of the most promising players at Barcelona. And like, for example, in El Clasico, he didn't play. Against Napoli, he's played um, five minutes and in the last five matches that he played, he played a total of 98 minutes, which is less than 20 minutes a game. When, if you account, you know, when you take into account the injuries, he actually should be starting or at least fighting for a starting spot every week. And he doesn't get to play anymore because Kike thinks a 17-year, because Kike knows how much pressure he's under and he's not going to play a 17-year-old kid over Arturo Vidal. In, a, in El Classic, it just isn't going to happen, but it probably should have because, uh, you know, Antoine Griezmann or Arturo Vidal, one of them should not have started El Clasico, and it should have been either Braithwaite or Ansu Fati. Like, that's clear, but Kike just isn't doing that because he wants to keep his job, obviously, and he doesn't trust that a 17-year-old kid is going to give him as much as Arturo Vidal can because 17-year-old kids um, in high profile football matches are inconsistent but he's a very talented player and needs to play consistently so he can become consistent um which i completely agree that to me is one of kike's problems he's not playing on Sofati and he's not playing ricky ricky puig who is one of the biggest talents in the world and just isn't getting he's not even getting dressed for matches which just doesn't make sense when you look at our midfield our midfield doesn't make sense um, and then there's Wiki Puig there, who is clearly really, really good, and he doesn't get a chance. And that's and that's concerning. Yeah. So do you have any other thoughts on El Clasico? No, I just want to move on from that as soon as I can. All right. Uh, Going to end on a bit of a fun, you know, rumor notes. If you had to pick one player this summer, um, are you picking Lataro or Timo Werner? Um. Uh, Barca are rumored to sign one of them. Yes. Uh, probably they're, they're deciding between them as we speak. Um, metaphorically, obviously, they're not having right. a meeting about those two players at the exact time we're recording this podcast. It's just a, whatever. Yeah. Uh, 
I would pick Timo Werner because of his pace. Like I said, we need pace, man. And obviously, I'm not going to trust Usman Dembele to come back. I don't know. Maybe all the fish he's eating um, is going to help, but <laughs> I don't know. I would take Timo Werner because he he doesn't have injury issues. Um, like Usman Dembele had injury issues before he even came to Barcelona. So it's not like Barcelona broke up Usman Dembele, by the way. He had injury problems at Borussia Dortmund as well. And who's a bit of a he was a bit of a diva at Dortmund because he didn't want he wasn't really a professional about the injuries according to the report. So kind of a similar point there. Um, Timo Werner is none of that. He's a prototypical German professional who is gonna train really hard and is gonna play really hard and is gonna play every game. And he's really really quick and really really good in front of goal. But I think I've, I I I think the club's gonna go for Lautaro just because he's Argentinian and he has a lot of familiarity with Messi, which is important. I'm not discounting that in any way, shape, or form. And he's a very similar player to Luis Suarez, so it makes sense to replace Luis Suarez with a Luis Suarez type player. Um, and then maybe you bet on Usman Dembele one last time and you give Ansu Fati more minutes. Last next season, but between those two players, um, if I only have to pick these two players and not take any of those factors into account, I just take Timo Werner because I think his speed would be just insane in those Barcelona team, and it's something we badly need. Yep, I actually agree with you on this one. Uh, that's all I have, Renato. Do you have anything else before we wrap it up? No, this was fun. This was fun. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed discussions about Renato's diet and Usman Dembele's fish eating style. Uh, we will... oh, uh, just one more thing. Yeah, uh, we won't talk obviously until next week. Um, just a quick, quick word about Barcelona against Real Sociedad, which is our next game on Saturday. And if anyone thinks it's a it's a breather after a Clasico, you're sadly mistaken. Real Sociedad is probably, probably the best team in La Liga this season outside of Real Madrid, Barcelona. They are exceptionally well coached. They have a lot of really good young players. Martin Odegaard, obviously, is a Real Madrid lone player. Alexander Izak cannot stop scoring goals. Um, so Real Sociedad is a really good team. Even at Camp Nou, they have a chance to win because they beat Real Madrid 4-3 at the Bernabeu in the Copa del Rey. Um, and they, they're going to play um, the second leg of the Copa del Rey semifinal uh, if I'm not mistaken, today we're recording this on Wednesday. Um, so if they qualify for the Copa del Rey final, imagine all the confidence they're going to have going to play Barcelona, especially after Barcelona lost out Clasico. So anyone expecting an easy game just because he team, this team is in Real Madrid or Atletico or Valencia or Sevilla, be forewarned. Barcelona are going to have a really tough time and. Based on the current climate, I would not be surprised if Barcelona lost this one, honestly. Uh, well, there you go. Some positive news to end on it. Uh, Barcelona <laughs> fans, beware. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to read the site, barcelonagranas.com. Heading into the weekend matches and afterwards, we will talk to you all next week. For Renato, I am Josh. Thanks for listening. Thanks.